0: days they started detecting uh that there was some sort of uh magma that was moving up into the the, what they call the long uh long uh sound where the rock is cracking Mm. and so there's roughly seven days before they um were alerted and then there was the man who was flying the plane when the pyro blast uh, uh blast occurred And he was killed, but he was trying to get away. And, uh, you know, he was doing research up to the last moment, trying to predict whether or not the volcano was going to erupt. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's uh, kind of a bad way to gather the data when such a high-risk environment. But uh, there was no other way at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So now they use GPS. They use tilt of the Earth. And a new one is, is using satellite. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about is, is uh, this idea of uh, what your feelings are about, you know, is it possible to predict a volcano?
1: So um, maybe you could talk just a little bit about the uh, article and kind of go into what they said about the GPS specifically. Um,
0: okay, yeah, sure.
1: Like, what data were they gathering?
0: Yeah, so now the data is from satellite, and uh, um, it's using, um, I think it's the European satellite, mm. and it's gathering images uh, set of every position on the earth every six days. Mm. So, it's a phenomenal amount of information that's being transmitted back, NASA says basically they don't have the resources to analyze it and uh, which may be that they don't have the budget and right uh, or they don't have the directive because everyone's trying to figure out where to allocate resource and volcano predictions are probably way down on the list you know uh, right yeah
1: how many people are killed by a volcano on a yearly average Probably less than baseball bat.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so low that um, to, to, to allocate a resource into uh, volcano predictions is actually kind of at the very bottom of the rung for allocation of resource. So, uh, but all yet right. they have all this data, and they're saying, well, what can we use all this data for? And one one idea is using a convolution neural net mm-hmm. to feed the data, and then look for uh, deformation in the land. So if they, for example, before Mount St. Sal- Helens blue, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it start, the magma starts filling up. Uh, you know, you start seeing some uh, melt off of the snow and, uh, those are some, uh, sulfurs being emitted. So there's a, a sulfur dioxide, uh, increase carbon dioxide's increasing.
1: Mm. Um, so there might Absolutely. be some distortion in the visible light that's coming to the satellite.
0: And that's what they're looking for. So they're looking for uh, influx. So in the case of Mount Baker, when it, uh, there in 1975, there was a heat influx. Uh, what mm-hmm. that meant was is there was no magma. There was no juvenile magma coming up into those uh, cracking, going through the long cracks in the rock. You had the was it the, uh, ball sequence. Ball, Samic rock, Mm -hmm. kind of an igneous rock that's, you know, that's being pushed up from way down underneath the Mm -hmm. uh, earth. There's no cracking there, but what they detected was that there was a crater, and what happened was the snow melted and formed this uh, kind of like a uh, lake crater.
1: Interesting, yeah. So the earth was heating up from below, melted the ice.
0: Yeah and so they were really concerned because they were thinking you know here we got these glaciers on the side of the mountain Mm -hmm. if that thing heats up too much you're going to have a massive uh, lahar and then when that lahar occurs which is the mixture of uh, mud and rock and and water Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to seek the lowest uh, path which is going to be a valley and, uh, you know, whatever's in that valley is going to be destroyed. Same with Vernier. That's the big problem with Vernier is that people have built at the base of that mountain.
1: Mm. And
0: uh, just, just recently, I don't know if you heard about this, but there was an earthquake, a four point something earthquake about 40 miles from Vernier. So there's, a, there's these uh, stress lines being affected by uh, the DeFuco Plate moving mm. from uh, Mount Rainier clear down into Southern California, there's uh, they had that 7.0 and the 6.4. And uh, so those pressure lines uh, are, are spreading less pressure. And uh, one of the interesting things is uh, there was a simulation I saw, a computer simulation a couple of years ago, where they were talking mm-hmm. about, question is, could a one fault line affect another fault line? So the, the classic answer is no classic answer is one fault line does not affect another fault line but so they put it in a a computer simulation fed it with data real Mm -hmm. data and then they simulated it and what they found is uh if there are certain places where fault uh earthquakes occur Mm -hmm. the fault lines will actually cascade and Mm -hmm. uh at some point they will connect so there's a there is a probability, you know, if an earthquake occurred in the southern part of California, and mm-hmm. they were they were hitting these fault lines, that you could see uh, uh, earthquakes all the way up into the northern California.
1: Wow, interesting. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about the earthquakes, that it had occurred recently.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah. there occur yeah, there's some uh, they were occurring in the Washington area, Seattle area, and then the, down into the southern California area. And uh, that's maybe kind of uh, ask some questions like, well, is there any AI predictions on this? And like you were saying that you know it's probably your odds of getting hit by a baseball are probably higher than you know actually <laughs> dying from a, a volcano eruption. Right. Uh, right. So that, you know no one's investing money into volcano uh, predictions at this point. Um, but that, yet there's all this data sitting out there. The satellites are collecting it. Right. Um, and uh you know they're saying that out of the fourteen hundred active volcanoes only uh a hundred or so are being monitored so and uh, mm. uh, yeah this so there you have thirteen hundred volcanoes that are are uh, uh, you know they're just basically being ignored and uh but yet the data's there
1: that's interesting I mean i myself I would like to see like data collection being done on this level. And I know, of course, I'd love to see them doing machine learning to do it, but just us investing the resources. I mean, you can't just look at the number of people who've, you know, die on a yearly basis from volcanoes. Obviously it's very small, but in the case that you're talking about, uh, you know, where it could affect larger systems, uh, it could affect I mean, I suppose California, in this case, is a very big piece of our economy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the economic impact could be very large. I mean, if we're investing at least how much we, you know, the equivalent amount of money is what we could lose if one of these things were to go off, I think that's reasonable. Plus, we budget for a lot of, you know, we, we budget for worse research projects anyway. So what's wrong with public safety? Yeah. So. Yeah, I
0: mean, that's one of the things that I, I like, you know, we were talking, of uh, last time we talked about uh, crime detection using, you know, some uh, deep learning and, and uh, you know, saving lives that way, um, yep. but, you know, here nature, and Hillens is a northern and a uh, Western Difuco Plate, and uh, up to this point, they said, well, there's no correlation between the, the uh, continental plate collisions, you know, forming the Cascade Mountains and volcanoes. But there's been a lot of research that has suggested that that whole ra- range was once uh, ghost volcanoes. In other words, there were lots of volcanic act- activity occurring and uh, l- largely, most of uh, Washington uh, was covered under magma flow at one time uh, from Idaho. So, Idaho's volcanoes were, were moving about 55 miles an hour, and they went and they pushed lava all the way to the coastline. So, there was roughly three miles of lava. That's how deep the lava was, that's how much lava was flowing up out of the earth moving from uh, Idaho to, to Washington, so it was huge. So they, they, they said, well, there's no correlation between the continental uh, plate collisions and Mount St. Helens. But uh, recently they have concluded that, yeah, there was a breach. So the subduction plates, there was a small breach. And in that breach, then the magma was able to push up and that's caused the Mount St. Helens to explode. And now it's forming, uh, you know, the magma is still pushing up slowly and uh, it's pushing and forming a new uh, dome. So now we're going right, see right. see to sure. eventually have a full dome. Over, <laughs> These things take a know, long, time.
1: long time. If uh, one I of my concerns would growing. be, is, I guess, first and foremost, do we have enough data? And then how do we prevent against false positives? Um, a false negative, you know, if we're going to say, yes, this volcano is going to erupt and it ends up not happening, that, that's OK. But if we say, no, this volcano is not a in the next 10 days or 30 days, and we're wrong about that, that is a big issue. And when it comes to these natural disasters, a lot of times we just, we just don't know some of the variables that after the fact.
0: Yeah, well, I that was one of the things that um, – I was reading about a uh, prediction model that they had. Is that they said, well, one of the problems that they were facing is false positives because they didn't have um, uh, a, enough data of volcanoes that erupted, so oh. that the net could learn what a what would be. Okay, they so didn't have enough signal, so it was just the model was telling them the that volcano erupted. Just
1: any hill so was a volcano or something along those lines. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it couldn't it couldn't di- differentiate between a volcano uh mm-hmm. you know, that may be emitting uh you know a l- little bit of lava flow or um you know some mm-hmm. cloud distortion because of you know emissions of particles into the air so what they did is uh they used virtual reality Mm. simulation to teach the net. So again, Mm -hmm. this was based on computational methods. And so they just put it in a simulator and they said, okay, we think this is what a volcano looks like in virtual reality and through simulation. And then they trained the net. So they went from 60% false positives down to 20
1: simulation.
0: So the net could learn from the virtual reality simulation. So that I is that was really interesting. interesting. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, was that's, that's step manufacturing data, and that can data. be
1: kind of dangerous to a yeah, model. So
0: they just simulate. Um,
1: in, in physics, we don't model down to the quantum level. We use linear approximations that create, you know, a lot of our calculations. And so we rely on those. They don't capture that underlying behavior because it's going to be absent in the simulation. just period, right? So, I mean, if there's other phenomena uh, that is, like, that could give us some indication that a volcano is going to go off, in this case, it just wouldn't be present in the model at all. Yeah,
0: you get into kind of like these deep learning uh scenarios that for predicting uh, earthquakes that are not directly related to yeah. direct evidence like for example buffalo uh, running away kind animals, of thing yeah uh the way you know birds are flying you know yeah um then uh you know it, it could be also um analyzing right. the air quality seeing if there's something that is changing uh Heat influxes is one. Uh, it'd be interesting to maybe measure the groundwater temperature if there's a sudden change in groundwater temperature. Yeah, you know, there's this uh, there's some geothermal. Well, activity there's an interesting kind of
1: thought experiment that I've been coming up with. If, if we could just analyze, you know, all the points on the earth, you know, just with whatever sensors we and just try and come up with some baseline for what is normal signal versus what is abnormal signal. You know, if we had that kind of mesh global network and data collection from that level, then we could get into things like, well, are the animals behaving different? Is the air quality funny? Is there something different about this area? And then we could layer that with, a, well, we know that this is a, a volcano that's possibly active well there's some extra signal coming from it too and maybe we could you know like a system like that that'd be kind of like my my dream system yeah it, uh, you know
0: with uh, mobile devices and that's what the they were saying is that mm-hmm. all this all these predictions were un unpo- were impossible maybe a couple of decades ago because the data didn't exist, but now you have so many mobile devices. You have mobile devices that are going into China, uh, into Russia, into a lot of areas that uh, are very poor, uh, and they're they're basically fantastic collection devices. I mean, uh, consumers are using it for determining uh, purchase buying patterns, and that you know big data is being collected that way. But uh, you know it's very possible that the device can keep track of temperature. Uh, you know, you got biometrics now. They're keeping track of things like your heartbeat, um, electromagnetic, mm-hmm. you know, pulses from your skin, uh, electrical signals that way. So w- it doesn't seem unforeseeable that in the future the devices could be connected right. to IoT things and collecting.
1: Yep, that'll be the, uh, the beautiful future, data. I suppose, or the terrifying one, depending on how we we use it. But I mean, hopefully, we're using all these resources for. Public good, not just yeah. You know, finding criminals and things like that. You know, if we take the, <laughs> you know, we always want to be preventative and prescriptive about our decisions versus, I suppose, dealing with things after the fact. That that'd be the kind of overarching purpose of doing any of this data stuff, anyway. I was trying to make, make predictions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Make predictions. Yeah. And fortunately for us, we're not politicians or, uh, you know, we don't have to deal with bureaucracies. But, you know, the the interesting thing is that um, that the money funding a lot of the research, a lot of the PhDs that are doing the uh, getting the staff to do the work. And getting the grants to do the research, and then you know publishing it. Um, I think there's a kind of this desire probably to go from just publishing in an academic journal mm-hmm. to uh, you know building systems. And that's where the private sector comes in, where they have money and they say, oh, "Okay, this is interesting research. Can we can we turn this into something that can uh, be beneficial, save lives?" Mm-hmm and uh, at the same time maybe build a – definitely have to have a profit model so that they can continue to operate. And, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: you know, it's just like UPS. You know, UPS provided mail delivery much better at a cost more effective. And so they've created right. a market, same with FedEx and uh, Dolly and a couple others. But uh, so in the, in the area of uh, prediction, you know, natural disasters is uh, – you know, when it comes to like yep. lives saved, if you have early warning, you know, like tsunami, you you get out of that zone. If you if they had early warning right. on Fukushima, they could have probably saved, uh, you know, saved lives that way too. Uh, Haiti was you know bad because of when that tsunami occurred, Indonesia was terrible, horrible because they didn't have early warning nets, uh, and just people didn't expect uh, something of that level of catastrophe occurring so they you know it was un- unthinkable that there would be a giant yep. wave moving 600 miles an hour at them that would flow you know multiple miles right. of land that uh you know that was just hard to uh, visualize right. in their minds well anyway that's a an interesting yeah. thought process uh, absolutely so I, sure think it's, I think i think it's pretty amazing outside. i mean
1: just just as a personal note, the fact that they're doing it and getting any sort of predictability out of it is just remarkable to me. I'm really glad that they're doing it. I'd love to see more projects like this. I really would. And not, not just with volcanoes, obviously, but any sort of patterns with the weather. Heck, even coming down to, like, if somebody wanted to do it with asteroids, great. <laughs> you know?
0: That's one I'd like to talk to you in the future also on is asteroid prediction. Uh, that, that's an interesting uh, phenomena. You know, there's always been this discussion of does the sun have a binary star? Because most stars are binary. Uh, then, there, you know, you hear about the Nairobi idea that there's this giant uh, Mayan asteroid, but non-provable, never occurred. Um uh, uh, you know, there's all kinds of mythologies that are related to asteroids and comet impacts and large nearby uh, collisions. And, uh, you know, the, what percentage of the sky is actually yeah, being watched? We also monitor point,
1: space. You know, A lot of it's uh, right? you have occlusion uh, problems. So you've got just issues around the actual visibility of the asteroids. Um, you know, if there's an asteroid coming directly at us, from, uh, you know, a direction in the sun, you'd never see it because it's going to be dark. You'd have to look for like a dark patch against the sun or if it's precluded by the earth itself and traveling in a similar direction, it'd be pretty tough. The nice thing is that we can look, you know, they're not moving at light speed. we'll, we'll see them eventually, but it is a, it's a hard problem. Well, you know, it's interesting because I used to
0: watch uh, meteorite hunters mm. or asteroid hunters, I can't which one it was. I think it might have been meteorite hunters. And uh, they, they, uh, uh, they, they journals for people who cited uh, what they thought was a, you know, an asteroid um, and uh, using the journals, then they would go out and with metal detectors, they'd walk around all day long, walking back and forth and they would find a little chunk of meteorite. And the meteorite is so valuable. That that little, like one ounce or even less than one ounce, uh, chunk of meteorite was worth thousands oh, wow. of dollars. So, yeah, th- and th- so there's this group, yeah. So there's a hobbyist group or you know professional group like Dana. Well, they even went to like uh, I forget where it was, but they found like a fifty pound block of uh, meteorite. It was a kind of like a kryptonite color, oh, yeah. and they you know people like to slice and put it into ju- uh, jewelry and stuff, oh. and uh, I think they got fifty thousand dollars for that piece that they said it was valued at. Oh, but yeah, there's there's a classic example of uh searching data and then uh investing money to go see if the data was right and then getting a pay payoff for being right. right. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> So that's interesting because you got meteorites and you got volcano prediction, earthquake prediction, and they're a lot alike. They all, they're all they all based on data and looking for that signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Tyler, I think our time's wow. up, but thanks for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Uh, as always, uh, you're one of the more most popular people on my uh, podcast.
1: Hey, thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I like having these talks, and uh, I appreciate your time.
0: Okay. Thanks, Tyler.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.